Hey guys, it's Gabby. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to share some really exciting news with you. We're launching the Corporate Quitter Club. Not only will this community connect you with people just like you who want to build a business or explore side hustles, but you'll get the opportunity to attend live webinars, learn from experts and entrepreneurs who've quote unquote made it, and get exclusive access to masterclasses, workbooks, materials, and Corporate Quitter merchandise. So the question is, are you ready to make 2021 the last year you clock into your nine to five? Visit corporatequitter.com forward slash community to get on the wait list. Hope to see you there. You're listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast, where it's all about exploring possibilities for making an honest living outside of the traditional nine to five. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Corporate Quitter. I'm your host, Gabby Ionello, and today's guest, his name is William Branham. He's a 26-year Navy SEAL and sniper instructor veteran. After retirement, William founded Naked Warrior Recovery, a premium CBD company focusing on quality and education to address his own issues with sleep, stress, anxiety, and pain. Additionally, he teaches the Get Naked Mindset, which is the five ways to think like a Navy SEAL. So, William, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me on here. That was beautiful. You said that all beautifully. It's a bit of a tongue twister. but uh, Maybe I need to work on cleaning that up. Like maybe get some more feedback. I don't know. I think it's nice because it paints a picture of like, you obviously have lived a very full life, both as a retired Navy SEAL, but also like someone who's now an entrepreneur. So it's good to cover all bases, you know? Just different processes, different places you are in your life, different stories. That's all. We all have stories. Exactly. And can you get into yours? Like, how did, you know, I know you were a Navy SEAL. What's the whole backstory of like how you got into that? And then how did that transition into you basically founding Naked Warrior Recovery? So I grew up in Meridian, Mississippi, a little town in the middle of nowhere in Mississippi. Not a lot there. There's a, a major highway. I-20 goes through the town. I think that's where most of the population comes from. There's also a naval air station there. Uh, my dad was a retired Navy guy. And I swore that I would never be in the Navy as a kid, just because it's a little bit of a Navy town and they have some schools there to train up their new people. They're right out of boot camp and they train them up. And a lot of times these young men and women, they acted like idiots when they're out in town going to the mall or whatever. Do we even have malls anymore? I don't know if I'm like older. (laughs) They're still there, but they're definitely dying for sure. (laughs) But uh, so they have the ugliest uniforms. I'm like, if I'm anything, I would be a Marine because those guys have like a badass uniform and but I always knew I wanted to be some sort of commando of sorts. And I didn't really know what I've heard of snipers. I heard Marines were snipers. I thought that was cool. So maybe I'd be a Marine force recon sniper. And I, and I was in the Boy Scouts. So I, you know, did a lot of hunting. I did a lot of stuff outside. I worked at the lifeguard camp where I taught the, on the rifle range guys how to shoot. And I also was a lifeguard taught life-saving and swimming and things like that. So I was familiar with the water. And so I'm trying to figure out what my path in, in life was. And so my, my role models growing up were like John Rambo. John Wayne was a Green Beret in a movie called uh, Green Beret in Vietnam. Chuck Norris was in an organization called Delta Force, and they were riding dirt bikes and fighting terror and all this other stuff when they were shooting rockets off their, their dirt bikes. So, and I was like, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, and then someone told me about, I'm like, I want to do something like that. And there someone said, okay, well, you maybe look at like Navy SEALs because you like the water and things like that. And I was like, well, what's, what's a Navy SEAL? No one knew anything about them really back then. And then the year between my 11th and 12th grade of high school, the Navy recruiter called my grandmother's house where I just happened to be hanging out, answered the phone. He's like, hey, man, have you ever thought about joining the Navy? And I was like, if you would have asked me that question a month ago, I would have said, no way, Jose. But someone said something about Navy SEALs and also being an F-14 Tomcat pilot. I want to do both of those. Uh, He's like, well, come on down here to the recruiting office. So I went down there. I watched a super cheesy video about Navy SEALs, and it was like really bad. As soon as it was over, I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to go right now. It's the hardest thing in the world. So let's go do that. Uh, He was like, okay, hold your horses. First, you got to graduate from high school, and you got to take the ASVAB test. You got all these prerequisites. And so I basically joined the Navy before I even started my 12th grade of high school in the delayed entry program. And then I graduated high school, and like four weeks later, I was off to boot camp. So I went to boot camp. I made some errors uh, in boot camp, some tactical errors and just, you know, planning errors. So I took this, the Navy SEAL screening test. Which it's a, a swim, a run, push-ups, pull-ups, and sit-ups. And I failed the, the test. I didn't do enough push-ups. And so I was like, okay, I'll just take it again later. No big deal. I'll train up. I'll get stronger. Let's go. And then I went to a technical school. Remember those idiots that I talked about in, in Meridian? Like I became one of those idiots. So 
going through this school and it's in like north of Chicago in the middle of winter. And I'm like, I don't want to go outside because it's cold and it's icy. And I, I was being a little bit of a baby that school finished up. And I was high enough in the class where I could go take the SEAL screening test or I could go take another school. And then my thought was I'll get in better shape and then I'll go to Bud's. But what happened is when I went to this other school in Virginia, I owed the Navy 24 months of obligated service. So I had to go ride on a ship for two years for 24 months in Yokosuka, Japan. And because of that other school that I took, the Navy said, well, you're too critical to us. We're not going to let you go be a Navy SEAL. We don't care. That's what you want. You're not going to do it. And so I went and got letters of recommendation. I did as much as I could, you know, in Yokosuka, Japan. Everyone was supportive of me except for this one guy who was really had my fate in his hands. And then the chief of naval operations came to my ship to explain to you who the chief of naval operations is. He's the the most senior guy in the Navy. So you have the, the CNO, the chief of naval operations, then you have the secretary of defense, and then you have the president of the United States. That's how senior that guy wow. is. Damn. And he came to my ship in Yokosuka, Japan and had, you know, like CNO's call. Hey, does anyone have any questions for me? I joined the Navy to be a SEAL. I think I deserve a chance to go. My detailer won't let me go. I think I deserve a chance. He turns to my commanding officer and he's like, hey, is he a good guy? Thankfully, I talked to everyone before the guy showed up. And he's like, yeah, he was a sailor of the quarter this quarter. So he turns back to me and he's like, you'll be in the first class after your PRD, which is planned rotational date, which was only six weeks later. And six weeks later, I'm off to California to go to SEAL training. Wow. Pretty cool. So it took me really three years, like after joining the Navy to become a SEAL or even just to step foot in the door to go to SEAL training. And then when I was there, you know, SEAL training is six months long and I completed it in a short 13 months because I kept getting injured. I didn't prepare myself. I didn't really prepare myself physically for the running and some of the other injuries I had. I had some broken bones and things like that. In training, it was just a lot of overuse injuries because the minimum you're going to run a day in buds is six miles. And that's just to eat. So the galley is a mile away. So you run there as the class, you eat, you run back, lunch, the same thing and dinner every day. So the minimum you're going to run is six miles. So if you're not ready for just six miles a day, maybe that's not the right thing for you, but you can work up to it. But then you have other, you know, four mile time runs, or you have soft sand runs. You have lots of other running. You probably run 10 miles a day on average in buds, maybe eight, maybe eight miles. Still, that's impressive. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of running. It's a lot. Yeah. I never even, I never conceptualized before I got there. Damn. As someone who used to be a very competitive runner and it was still like a mile, one mile sucks, let alone like when you get up to the six or the double digits. So Probably explains why you're in phenomenal shape too. And, you know, it's just like, it all makes sense, right? So what happened? So you you went to California. Did you work underneath that CNO, I think you called it? No. So he was known for changing policy on the spot. Like if, like in the military, there's a lot of dumb rules. Sometimes those rules just get in place because of, I don't know, someone wants to look important or they think this is a good idea. I don't know why. But he was known for like, kind of throughout his career, if someone brought like a rule up to him and said, hey, this doesn't make sense. Could we talk about changing that? And if he thought it didn't make sense, he would just like make the change right there. So for example, if you're overseas, let's just say in Japan, in order to be stationed overseas, you have to have a special overseas screening. It's a very labor intensive medical screening to go be stationed overseas to make sure you're healthy and all this other stuff. You're not going to be any sort of exceptional medical issues that the facilities that are overseas can't handle. Mm -hmm. Well, If you're overseas and then you take another set of orders in the same location, Japan, Germany, Bahrain, wherever it is, you have to get another overseas screening. Why? You're already overseas. It wasn't like anything happened that made you less qualified. They didn't send you away because you're some sort of medical issue happened. And so he would just like, that's dumb. Who even made that happen? So he would change policies like that all the time. That's good though, because I think especially for people who I know specifically who were in like, whether the Navy and the Marines or anything like that, I've heard of those things. And also it's the same thing in corporate where you have like policies that have been in place for 50 years, maybe a hundred years since the X thing was created that it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not relevant at this point. It doesn't make sense. It's not relevant. Yeah. Someone said, I saw a meme one time and it was something like, I'm I'm sure I'm going to mess it up, but uh, (laughs) traditions are, it's like traditions are dead people's rules or the way dead people did stuff or something like that. I mean, that's essentially what it is. That actually makes sense. Yeah. It does. Wow. I like that. Now I feel like I have to go back and and, and find that meme. (laughs) But I mean, you still hit the nail on the head. 
okay, so this guy, you know, the rule breaker, you get to California. And so were you, you know, over the course of the 26-year period where you were as a Navy SEAL and then becoming the sniper instructor, like, did you travel a lot? Like, what were some of your experiences? Tons of travel. So SEAL training is six months. It took me 13 months because I broke some bones. I learned lots of lessons in SEAL training. SEAL training is like the infamous Hell Week also. I mean, you can talk to people all over the world and they most people know what Hell Week is. And I'm going to be honest with you, Hell Week was hard. I learned some really good lessons. I ended up in a really great boat crew where I learned it's better to suffer in the front than it is to suffer in the back because Hell Week sucks. You're just going to suffer the whole time. You have two choices to make. You can suffer and keep going, or you can quit. Those are the only options you have. So if you're going to quit, then go away. But if you're going to suffer, it's better to suffer in the front because you'll be rewarded for your suffering in the front. You're not going to be rewarded for your suffering in the back. Everyone suffers. Just put forth the maximum amount of effort that you have and get to the front of the line every single time. And when you do that, you're going to realize that you have more gas in the tank than you actually thought you did. So it's better to suffer in the front than it is in the back. And it didn't dawn on most people in class. It didn't really dawn on me until I happened to be in this boat crew. A boat crew is seven guys and you carry this boat around on your head for all five days, five and a half days, and you don't sleep and you don't stop moving and you just... And anytime there was a gap between the boats that were in front of them, they would just pass them. And I'm like, now I'm part of this boat crew. And so anytime I felt like kind of weak or a little bit sorry for myself, I'm like, I can't let the boat crew down and like slow everyone down. They want to go faster. So now I have to go faster. So it was awesome to be surrounded by this group of competitive dudes that the other boats didn't have. And then no one even talked about it in the boat crew. It was just like an uncommon law in that boat crew. And we performed so well during hell week that our boat crew got secured early before the rest of the class. And it was also just a way to kind of mess with the rest of the class because we won almost every race. And then like the, we finished this, this event called the demo pits where it's just like gross mud, water and explosions and some other stuff on Friday. And then after that, they were like, okay, boat crew, come on up here. You've won every race. You're secured from every, hell week. Everyone else go hit the surf. And like they had to paddle back down and go like they went for another like four or five hours which all of us could have gone for like four or five more days. It's once you like get into that groove of just, it sucks and it, it's suffering and it's, but it is, it just is. And you just keep going. No one would ever quit if it was like seven days. It doesn't matter. Once you get past a certain point, it just is. And you sort of embrace that suck. You just get comfortable with that discomfort and, uh, and you just keep going. But most of us in life don't want to like, put forth the effort to kind of like just push over that. It's only one more step. It's one more thing that gets you there. But it's like, oh, I, I don't like being uncomfortable. I mean, I like the way I feel after I work out. I don't like going to work out, but I also don't like the way I feel, you know, after I do like some heavy squats and my legs are sore and I'm like, I can't walk for like seven days <laughs> until I do squats again. I'm like, I don't like that part either. I like the way I feel when I work out. So it's like, I'm never really motivated to work out. I just go work out because I want the the results that come from working out. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine the, like you said, the lessons that, you know, you had learned with pushing yourself so rigorously through things like that. Because I feel like, especially when you can see, like you had said, mull in the suffering and you realize that it's like, it's just temporary. Like in other cases, you can use the same mentality to do stuff in business, in your relationships. Like it just works, right? But I do love that you through all of this, you were then able to kind of translate all of this mentality and all of your lessons into now the business of like the get naked mindset and you have a CBD company. So like, how did you bridge the two? Like what was the transition out of one to the other? Well, before I even get there, I didn't have it all together in my head just yet. So, you know, you finish SEAL training and you like, it's the hardest training on earth, whatever. When I finished that, I was like, okay, now what? No big deal. I've, I finished it. And I wasn't thinking like the next step is going to be harder. Like there's a saying in the SEAL teams that says the only easy day was yesterday. That's true. Like every day you have to get up and it's going to be a challenge and you have to go attack that challenge and, and, you know, bring the best version of yourself and attack that, whatever that day is. Maybe yesterday was hard and you learned a bunch of lessons, but that was yesterday. Today is a whole new set of rules and a whole new set of lessons, a whole new set of challenges. And I didn't really have that. I graduated SEAL training, no big deal. I showed up to a SEAL team and I had the wrong attitude. And I learned very quickly that just because you've graduated SEAL training, no one cares in the SEAL teams. Everyone else (laughs) there has done it. They don't care. They expect you to take the trash out and sweep the floor and do all the, the shit jobs now and earn your stripes. Just because you did that doesn't mean anything. We all did that. Now it's time to like step it up. 
you know, once I got to the SEAL team, I had a little bit of a rude awakening. I'm like, oh my God, I better get my act together. And so the great thing about being part of the SEAL team is you're surrounded by an awesome group of people who are going to push you every day. And as I moved up in sort of the leadership ranks, uh, it was even better because now I'm like looking up to people who are working for me and having that ability to like, I look up to people who are senior to me, people who are more experienced. I'm looking up to people who are junior to me with less experience because they have different experiences and they have different attitudes about things. And so I'm able to like draw off their energy and the things that they're doing to make me a better person and a better seal at the end of the day. So, I mean, through all that experience of like, again, these life lessons and and whatnot, like how did you serving in the Navy inspire this whole, you know, naked mindset as well as, you know, your CBD company, Naked Warrior Recovery? Like, did that just like come one day as like a download or did something happen? No, not not at all. It actually came through suffering. Actually, it came through suffering. I'm seeing a theme here. (laughs) And, and, and again, no one wants to suffer. No one wants adversity in their life, but adversity is, you know, it's a gift, but you just can't see it when it's right in front of you. And then you have to be willing to accept that gift and then do something about it, do something with that gift. And so for me, it was, you know, I have a lot of baggage, you know, 26 years in the military. I have some toxic relationships. Life isn't all roses and fairies and unicorns. And it's not all, everything is beautiful all the time. Even though people think that it's not. That's not the purpose of life either, I don't believe. I believe you're here, we're here to make an impact and make the world a better place, leave it better than the way we found it. But I was struggling with, I was out of the military. I lost my mission. I lost my team. I lost my job. I lost everything. I was drinking heavily. I was using pharmaceuticals just to turn the noise off in my head, the stress, the anxiety, the sleep issues, the whatever, just to, just to quiet it enough for me to go to sleep. And generally that meant me just drinking myself to sleep. Mm-hmm. And so one day someone I had heard about CBD and it's actually a very recently, only really... December 20th of 2018, did CBD become legal? And after that, you see CBD stores popping up all over the place. And we can kind of talk about that kind of the ugly part of the industry. You know, I was like, I feel like this is probably something for me, but I didn't want to go down the THC route because I still maintain a top secret clearance. And so uh, I still get drug tested. And that's not a good thing. If you fail a drug test for your clearance, you lose opportunity that way. So for me, it was about, I need to like, find something better than alcohol, all this poison I'm putting in my body and pharmaceuticals that just sort of cover the noise. They don't actually address the noise. And so what CBD did is I like to say that, you know, my buddy gave me a bottle of CBD that someone gave to him and, you know, maybe it helped me a little bit sleep that night. And maybe I was a little less pissed off the next day. But what I like to say is water boils at 212 degrees and I was probably living at 210 degrees. So it didn't take much like triggers. Like there was only two degrees of separation between, you know, me sort of like losing my mind and me being normal-ish. And so after about 30 days of CBD, what I noticed was, you know, I went from like 210 to 205 to 200 to maybe 190, maybe 185. So my, my, my fuse to that boiling point got longer. And I also noticed like some pains and aches because I'm 100% disabled. You look at me, you can't tell that I'm 100% disabled through the VA. But what that actually means is I'm more than 250% disabled if you add all the numbers up. So VA math is kind of weird. So I've got lots of aches and pains. And like I said, like working out, like I'm not motivated to work out, but I like the way I feel. Like I have to like do the old man warm up and and things like that to kind of like lube my joints so that I feel good at the end or even when I even start my workout because I've been beat up a little bit. I could, I could probably say maybe, yeah, more than a little bit, but yeah. Here, here <laughs> and there. Uh, I, got, I, got fell, I fell down a few times. Uh, we'll just say that. But then I stopped taking it because I used up the whole bottle. And then I started getting closer back to that 212, you know, started moving closer back to that boiling point. And so I tried a different brand of CBD and I started coming back down again. And then I was like, maybe there's something to this. Uh, And I also, you know, was suffering. I didn't have a purpose. I didn't have a mission because that's all behind me. And so now I'm like struggling with like trying to figure out what my purpose and my mission is. And so I went to a business conference that a friend of mine was a keynote speaker at. So I got to go for free more or less. And it was like, I don't know, it was like a $5,000 event. And I met someone in the CBD industry and I was super interested in the CBD industry. And really I was hoping that she would hire me. And so I started talking to her and she was like, why don't you start your own CBD company? And I was like, I don't know how to do that. And she was like, you're a Navy SEAL, figure it out. I was like, oh, okay. You just pulled my man card and uh, I'm going to go figure it out now. So I started researching the industry. And as I was researching it, I found that it was incredibly dirty. 
Like the FDA has gone out and done tons of spot checks. They found that like 70% of the companies out there either don't have CBD, they have high levels of THC, they have a bunch of toxins like heavy metals, mercury, wow. arsenic, other solvents that they use to extract the CBD, pesticides, herbicides. It's because hemp, which is where CBD comes from, is a bioaccumulator, which means it pulls all the good stuff out of the soil and all the bad stuff out of the soil. And it's such a powerful bioaccumulator that they're using hemp at Chernobyl to clean the radiation out of the soil so they can go back and, and repopulate that area one day. So I found that the industry was super dirty. So my job now was to, if I want to start a CBD company, I have to find the, the highest quality suppliers in the market because I'm not going to be one of those companies that's just out there for a quick buck. I'm out there to provide some sort of healing effects, whether it's reducing chronic inflammation, reducing pain, you know, helping with sleep, stress, anxiety, things like that. So I still, to this day, I still have the highest uh, suppliers that I can find because I'm looking every day to find better suppliers than who I currently have. And I haven't found anyone yet. So all of our products are third-party tested at an independent third-party lab, and no one else does the quality control that we do currently. Glad that you you know go the extra mile to really find good quality stuff because one thing that I'm finding, and I know a lot of other people are finding just in regular food, just in normal things, is this increased amount of pollutions, these you know toxic chemicals, like metals, all this stuff. So it's a relief that at least someone is doing something that seems like it's for the actual body. It's supposed to help us, not just like for profit. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. All of our oils, there was a process to get to this point, but they're all USDA certified organic. However, not all the products are USD certified organic, like the gummies. We can't control like some of the gelatins that go into there. We can't control some of the processes that we use because those actual pieces aren't USDA certified organic. They're still very high quality. It's just like we can't control what we can't control. So creating gummies, we're going to a gummy manufacturer and using their facility and using our oils and things like that. So so how has you being a Navy SEAL, other than the fact that basically this woman, you know, told you like you're a Navy SEAL, figure it out. How has it prepared you or made you a better CEO as a result of that experience? I think, so there's a couple things. Number one, I, as a CBD company, I can't market like traditional companies market, you know, pay-per-click ads on social media or whatever, Google, because they don't recognize CBD as a legal product, even though it's legal in all 50 states, federally it's legal. They don't recognize it in that fashion. Maybe they will once the FDA makes CBD a dietary supplement. So what it's made me do is it's made me become more creative in the way that I can market in order for me to be in front of a lot of people. I mean, there's a jillion and a half billion uh, CBD companies out there in the world. Everywhere you look, gas stations and things like that, on every corner, there's a CBD shop. So how do I stand out? So my job is to stand out from the crowd. Number one, the way that I do that is, is through, because I don't have a storefront. I'm only online and I have affiliates. So I have to be more creative. I have to be more unconventional in the way that I approach things. I mean, you know, just kind of talking about the quality of CBD. Someone asked me once upon a time, what's the difference between your CBD and the CBD I can get in the gas station? And this was not my reply, but someone that was standing next to me, they were like, so what's the difference between uh, gas station sushi and the sushi that you get from a, from a <laughs> high quality sushi house? I mean, great. That's a like, great Are you really example. willing to roll the bones of like for gas station sushi? Now, if you use that analogy in Hawaii, it doesn't make sense because we have lots of sushi. <laughs> in the gas but so it's not, it's not the same, but it, like, Middle America, everywhere else. I, I wouldn't want to get sushi from a gas station anywhere else, but maybe here or Japan. So for me, I had to become more creative. I had to kind of lean on lessons that I learned in the SEAL teams about being unconventional, the way that we approach combat. And really, you know, being an entrepreneur, you're really going into combat every single day. It's just a different form. In the SEAL teams, people just think that we're really good at stuff. And the fact is, we are, but it's because we work really hard and we focus on training and we focus on like where are our weak points, our failure points, and we improve upon those things. But we also go out and find coaches that are the best in the world at what they do. So we find shooting coaches, driving coaches. We go work with other you know military units for diving and things like that. So the Germans are really the best in the world at combat swimmer. So closed circuit, 100% O2 rig, they're the best in the world. They blow us out of the water. So we go over there, but we bring those guys over here to train us to become better. What I had to do, I'm like, yeah, I, I have all of these skill sets of you know tenacity and getting it done and, and never quit and, and accepting failure. 
but I don't know how to employ them in a business mindset because they don't teach you how to be an entrepreneur or anything else like that in the military. As I look back on it, though, I did learn some skills. So, you know, if we want to go do a mission, we have to sell that mission to the leadership. If I want to go do a certain kind of training, I had to create a brief and, and sell that purpose for spending this money to go to this training or hire this coach to come teach us how to shoot or whatever. I had to go sell that to my leadership and they could say yay or nay. So I, I learned a little bit of the, the sales side of it, even though my entire adult life, I was like, I will never be in sales. And now look at me, I'm in sales and entrepreneurship and, and also in a little bit of coaching as well. But I found that now that I'm out, I hire business coaches to teach me how to do this because I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to market. One of the things that they told me is figure out what your why is. And I'm like, I, I want everyone's why is I want to make more money. It has to be bigger than you and what you want. I struggled tremendously in my you know, my retirement and my purpose and all this other stuff and baggage and things that I have, what I found is, is I started looking at it and I started looking at like people that were just like me uh, who are suffering. I looked at the VA and, and it turns out that 22 veterans take their own lives every single day. And we've lost more veterans to suicide than we have in 20 years of sustained combat, because this is 20 years, this year is 20 years of 9-11. So we've been in sustained combat for 20 years, and we've lost more veterans to, to suicide than we have to, to 20 years of sustained combat. And wow. as I was kind of looking back on it and things like that, I realized that my dad is a veteran that took his life. And so it, it's very personal to me. And that became my why. My why is 22 to zero. Let's take that 22 number and any way that we can whittle it down to zero. And so CBD was a modality that helped me sort of turn down the noise in my head so that I could have better self-talk, better quality of life overall. But that was only one piece of it. The other side of it is where I came up with this get naked mindset. And the get naked mindset is about we walk around with ego on, we walk around with armor because we've been attacked from relationships or coworkers or family members or whatever. And like, we wish that life was easy, but it's not. And so combat in the SEAL team, we go into harm's way, but we put our armor on, we go into, you know, where the bad guys are. We do our job. We come back, we take the armor off. We go hit the showers, rest, recover, get ready for the next mission. In life, we don't do that. In life, we can be in our homes and we see like some email come in or a text or social media or someone that's in our house and like we're they're like attacking us in some way whatever it is when you think you're safe and then you're not we end up wearing this armor and we're always on edge and we're always in this defensive mode and we don't know how to take it off or turn it off or someone is putting their crap on us and so what get naked is is about taking that ego off, taking that armor off and setting it in the corner and finding, you know, rest and recovery and becoming vulnerable for a little while so that you can like heal that festering wound that hasn't been taken care of. And so once you're able to do that, take that mentality. So I was talking to a actually one of my business coaches about this and he was like, "Are you kidding me?" because he went to therapy for a bunch of years and he said, "This is what my therapist told me." He was like, uh, and we had never talked about, you know, the armor or the get naked or really any of it. And we were just talking about just the naked warrior. And he's like, you know, my therapist, he said, you go to armor every single day. You're an entrepreneur, you're a business owner, you have multiple businesses. And so you just go through life wearing armor. And when you go home, you're still wearing your armor. And he's like, yeah, my kids are like, and my wife and whatever. And he's like, so he's like, do this. Talk to me about your routine of when you get home. And he's like, okay, so I pull up to my house. I park, I get my backpack. I walk this way. I go by here and then I go in the, in the kitchen door. And he's like, okay, now the next time today, when you go home, I want you to park your truck and I want you to take your helmet off, your armor. And then as you like walk around the truck, I want you to take your gauntlet, your gloves off, and then your chaps, your steel chaps, and then your breastplate and set that outside the door right before you walk in the door. So you're like visually, mentally taking your armor off as you like go into your house. And it was like the first few days that I did that. Like my family, they were like, whoa, ah, what's wrong with you? Something like they're just waiting for you to like snap or whatever. And it was cool that I had that own experience in my own kind of way of figuring that out. And in his therapist that he paid thousands, tens of thousands of dollars to help him like work through his issues, told him pretty much to do exactly the same thing. Like if you can mentally and emotionally like take that armor off and take a break from carrying that weight around of that baggage that other people put on you. And if you can take that off, you'll find a little bit more vulnerability in your life and you'll be able to heal and, and recover a lot more quickly. I never ever in my life thought I would talk about sort of this philosophical sort of mental way of healing ever because I've spent my entire life 
compartmentalizing and just trying to be hard and never showing weakness. And now I'm like, oh, I'm, trying, I'm being vulnerable in front of people. So that's uh, it's a little weird for me. But if I can do it, anyone can do it. I think that's such a cool, like I never really thought about physically, like, I mean, it is like kind of fake in a sense, right? You're, it's not really there, but I think the whole right. idea is you're putting the intention of coming about something with authenticity and vulnerability and like, I'm going to try that. I'm very excited about that. I really like it. When you say take off your ego, you actually mean like that, that armor piece, or is there more to that actual component and then mindset? Like, are they one and the same or are there different pieces for the mindset and the actual ego? I'm a simple guy with a simple mind. So I think about it a little differently, just in the armor that we wore in the SEAL teams. And it's just like a, you know, you can see people doing CrossFit, you know, wearing these plate carriers. And that's the way that I think about take my helmet off, which is a ballistic protection. And I take that armor off because I'm concerned about getting shot in the chest. And so I take that off. There's some real science behind if you can change it in your mind, you change the way that you think you will change physiological things about your body. You can either in good or bad, if you change thought processes, you will change physiological pieces of your body where you will, you believe that you're going to be stronger. You will become stronger. You believe that you're going to become better and there could be medicine involved. Of course you can become better. I was doing a, uh, like a solo podcast for an organization the other day. And it reminded me of a, a story when I was going through SEAL training, I was injured most of the time. There was a point where they were like, if you get hurt again, you have to leave. You, you can't stay here because you're clearly not prepared. Your body can't handle the punishment. I'm like, okay, check. And so when I started that next class, I was stayed injured the whole time. I never healed up and I just sort of hobbled and I got where I needed to go. And I, you know, I completed hell week and all this other stuff, but I had to pass certain evolutions. And one of those is a four mile time run. It's not incredibly fast. I think it's like an eight minute mile or eight and a half minute mile. It's not like super, there's some stress involved and maybe it's four miles. Exactly. Maybe it's a little longer. depends where the instructors stop the truck that you have to run around and then run back down the beach. Sometimes it's on soft sand. Sometimes it's on hard pack. So I had not passed any up until this point. And I remember waking up one morning and I was like, I'm going to crush that run today. I don't know what it was. I don't know what happened in my mind. Just the whole day, I was just told everyone, like everyone knew that I was broken and gimpy and I couldn't perform at the level of everyone else, but I still had heart and I had desire. And at some point my mental jujitsu kicked in, I guess. And I truly believe, like you couldn't convince me otherwise that I was not going to pass that run. The class went to lunch. I stayed back to help work on some other stuff. We came back. Maybe I ate like three bites of lunch that they brought back to me and and a couple other guys. And we went out on the beach. I beat the run by like, I don't know, like three and a half minutes, which was the fastest I've ever run it. And I'm still like jumping along, but I passed it. And it was just because like something in my mind said, you're going to do this. And so I did it. And so it was just physiological thing that happened in my body. I don't know if I just had longer strides. I don't know if I just didn't feel the pain as much. I didn't feel as sorry for myself. I don't know what the thing was, but once I was determined and that was my goal, nothing could stop me. Like nothing was going to stop me that day ever. I love that though. And I think that's why people are really getting into the the notion of, again, positive mindset and also this whole notion of journaling. And in the morning, if you journal and you set your intentions of like, I'm going to crush it today. I'm going to have a good day. Have a good workout, make sales, whatever it is. Very often you'll actually achieve those things because you already set the intention and you already put your mind to it. Like your body will then read the mind and is this whole like physiological thing as you talk about. But it's like, it's very weird because you would think, it doesn't make sense when you think about science, right? Physically, you weren't ready for that. But for whatever reason, soul, spirit, whatever, something happened and it flipped the switch. I mean, the simple man is like, it's mind over matter. If you don't mind, it don't matter. Well, I minded, but there was definitely something that changed in my mind <laughs> that yeah. I was like, I'm telling you, you could not convince me otherwise that I would not pass that run. You could have made it a five mile run. I still would have run harder. So, I mean, I'm assuming you use the same practice you know, both the taking off the armor as well as like this mindset of like putting your mind to it and sticking your, you know, your guns in your business. That's a little bit harder to do though. That just kind of falls into the motivation side of it, but it was also the like absolute true belief and your purpose. Like my, my purpose, like for the last five years, all I've wanted to do is become a Navy SEAL. And now I'm like, my back is against the wall and I have, like, I performed very well under stress, under stress and pressure. Apparently I went from a, a PhD about my public high school diploma to a master's in three years. And really I performed the best when I was under the gun of like a timeline. And so I was like, why am I like that? 
oh, I need that extra pressure. So I have to put that extra pressure on myself, on my own shoulders every single day in order to like go do it. I don't feel like working out. I don't feel like writing the email copy. I don't feel like trying to figure out that problem. I just have to sit down and do it anyway. That's a lot of like sort of the get naked mindset. And this is something that I came up with also from like trying to figure out different ways to market as well. So like I talked about, CBD was a modality. It's a piece of the puzzle, but I had to change my mindset. I had to figure out why do I need to be better? Why do I want to be better? What's my next purpose in life? And as I'm going down this road of like, you know, taking off the ego and armor and getting naked, I have to figure out what else is there because there's always something else. And so what I've done is I've, I've taken naked and I've turned it into an acronym because in the military, we like acronyms. And so the N is for never quit. And I don't mean never quit smoking or drinking or doing porn or drugs or whatever, or never quit. If you're in a toxic relationship, don't stay there, get out. I mean, like if you have something that you want to do, if you have a goal that you want to accomplish, if you have something in your life that was worth starting, you should just keep going until you finish it. Now there can be points in there where it doesn't make sense to keep going. You should pivot to do something else, but that doesn't mean that you're quitting on that goal. You're just changing it to attack something else. And one of the lessons that I learned going back to SEAL training is breaking the goal up into manageable pieces. For example, so they, you know, Rome was built in a day, you eat an elephant one bite at a time. In training, you know, there were nights where we're like laying there. There was one night I was actually naked on the beach because I didn't wear my Speedo like they told us to. And I lost it. So I'm like, whatever. It just is what it is. And so they had never done this before. And so we were kind of sneaking around on the beach and then the instructors hated us. And so it was fine. No big deal. First, they had us laying in the surf zone. And this is where lots of guys quit uh, because the Pacific Ocean, even though people don't think it's cold, it's frigid except for like maybe two or three months of the year. The rest of the time, it's frigid. And so this was, I think, February, March timeframe in California. And so we lock arms. They have us lay down. And generally, when we lay down in the ocean, we're facing the ocean and they have us lay our heads on the ground and you know the water crashes on us and kind of jostles us around and it's just cold and miserable and it sucks. This time, they had us face the land, back up, and then sit down and then lay down. And when we laid down facing land in the ocean, and then they like, were like, all right, strip, get naked. We were doing a, we're doing a speedo check. And so there were a couple of us that didn't have a speedo on. And so we're actually laying naked on the beach. It was at night. It's kind of a private beach, no big deal. Just a bunch of men around and we're locked arms and we're laying down. And I remember like, it's very silty sand. The ocean would like pull it out and it would come up and it would crash right on our faces. And that sand would go up your nose and like down into your, like into your throat. And I just started like dry heaving from like that silty sand, like in my throat, like, bleh, bleh, bleh. <laughs> like this is, this is like probably the most miserable I've ever been in my life. But I also thought in about an hour, this is going to be done. I'm not going to be naked anymore. Maybe I will in a hot shower. And then after that, I'm going to be in my warm bed and then I'll start the day all over again. But, but I had that mentality, like this is going to end, like they can only keep us out here for so long. I know that they have to get up in the morning. Also, this is going to end even hell week it's broken up into, they still feed you four times a day in hell week. And you know that uh, no matter how bad it sucks in a little while, you're going to go to chow and you're going to eat and you're going to sit down for an hour and you're going to try not to fall asleep at the table because then you'll get in trouble and whatever. But uh, if you have these hard tasks, you break them up into manageable pieces and you attack that one piece every single day. You don't try to attack the whole thing. It's, it's not possible to finish the whole thing in a day or in a week or in a year. It depends what it is. If you have the mindset of like, you break it up, you attack that one thing today. That's the only thing that you're really focused on. I'm going to attack that one thing. I'm going to finish that one thing today. And then tomorrow you finish that next thing. And you just keep doing that every single day. Then you will accomplish your goal. It doesn't matter how big it is. And potentially the thing that you want to actually accomplish gets further away. That's awesome. That means that you're getting better at what you're doing. And maybe you can take bigger bite-sized pieces and you'll grow even faster. So that is, that's what never quit means for the, for the end. The A is accept failure because failure is the foundation of success. If you're not failing, then you're not trying. You're, you're not doing anything. And so if you think about like some of the greatest successes of all time, you know, let's just talk Michael Jordan, arguably the best basketball player ever. He's missed more than 3,000 shots in his career. And you know what he did after the game when he missed a shot? He would go to the gym. He wouldn't celebrate the win. He would go to the gym and he would practice that shot over and over and over until he never missed it again. Elon Musk was fired from the first company he was the CEO of. Steve Jobs fired as the CEO of Apple. Henry Ford filed bankruptcy seven times before he started the Ford Motor Company. Thomas Edison discovered 10,000 ways to not 
create the incandescent light bulb. All of these people, they just have failure and they use that failure as a lesson learned. And they just created this ladder that helped them walk, climb over that obstacle that was in front of them. So they used failure as their staircase, if you will. And they hopped over the obstacle in front of them and then they started again and they failed. The A is accept failure. The K is kill mediocrity. In, in today's society, you know, we've got Amazon Prime where you can have ice cream at your door in an hour. You've got, you know, Netflix and YouTube and we don't have the desire or motivation or we have, you know, people just handing us checks because we're breathing and we don't have the desire or motivation to improve ourselves or improve the people around us. So our job is if we want to be impactful or anything in the world, we have to kill mediocrity in our own life. And then from that, mediocrity that we're killing, we help inspire other people to kill the mediocrity in their life so that they create impact and influence and help the world become a better place. The E is exposure fears. Fear is the the thing that keeps us from doing what we actually want to do. And it's not the fear of like something going bump in the night. It's the fear of like that dark place in the back of your mind that those things just sit in there and they fester in there from whatever it is, like whatever bothers you, whatever keeps you up, whatever those noises are, those voices And they like to stay in the back and you don't like talking about them because you know what? Someone may make fun of you. You may, or whatever, like really that's, what's bothering you. If you're able to like reach back there, grab those fears and pull them out and expose them to the world, expose them to light. So a friend of mine says fear does not exist on paper. Uh, He's a billionaire and he still has fear and anxiety about stuff. You know, what he says is he'll be driving and he'll pull over at the nearest Starbucks and he'll go inside and he'll write down his fears, like the things that are bothering him, the things that are just driving him nuts. And he looks at it and he reads it and he's like, oh, that's really what's bothering me. A lot of us, like I'm not someone to go talk to a therapist or anything like that. I might, it's not my thing, but it is for other people. But what I had to do is I had to figure out what was right for me. And so I had to think about what's bothering me. What are those triggers that set me off? And once I was able to realize that and I wrote it down and when I wrote it down, it was like, that's it. That's the thing that sets me off. And maybe it's like, yeah, I don't have money. Okay. Well then let's figure out a plan. Uh, maybe I don't know how to solve that problem. Let's figure out a plan. Let's ask someone how to do it. And let's figure that out. Once you're able to expose those fears, because those fears are the thing they're controlling you and you don't even know it. Once you're able to expose them, you control the fear. The fear no longer controls you. The D is to do the work. All of this requires work. We can be mediocre and we can lay around and we can have someone peel grapes and feed us, but that's not reality. The most successful people in the world are they're out there always grinding and doing work and trying to make their thing, their world, their bubble better. All of these things that never quit, accept failure, kill mediocrity, expose your fears and do the work. It's all work. And getting naked is about work, about, you know, taking that ego off. It's work. And it's something you may not want to do. You may want to just like stay in your little cocoon when in reality, you need to like bust out of that thing and just do the work and grow into the butterfly or the moth or the whatever it is that that, that you're going to grow into. I didn't know I was going to turn into that sort of analogy, but <laughs> I mean, but it is kind of, I like it though. I do. I, um, well, a, I love the acronym and I love everything that it stands for because I couldn't agree more. I think all those components are really key pieces of how you can really make an impact in the world and obviously make a thriving business as well. But I do also really like the analogy of a butterfly. Cause I think people forget that you know, we spend so much time in the weeds. Like if you think, you know, you hit your highs, but you're mostly in like the lows or the the uphill battle towards those highs. So if you're in constant depression or like constant hitting your head against the wall during these times, you're going to spend probably most of your life in a really dark place versus like honoring the process. Like you would be a butterfly going into the chrysalis and then blossoming. So like, well, the caterpillar into the chrysalis and then that whole thing. But I also, it's really funny because I'm glad you ended on the note of the acronym because my final question that I ask all my guests are like, if you could give advice to your younger self, what would that be? But I feel like literally everything that you've mentioned is like a million times that, but I mean, for like a final send off, do you have any like one nugget that you would give as an additional piece of advice that you would have told William, young William, like do this? Before I, before I go there, and you may have to remind me of the question, because I'm thinking about the answer as I'm, as I'm telling this, but you said something that, uh, you know, people, we get stuck in like, in the valleys, we get stuck in the, like in the grind and the depression and the whatever. So when I went to Sears school, which is where they, it stands for survive, escape, resist, and evade. Basically, we went out on a mountain somewhere on the East coast. We learned how to survive off the land, start fire, things like that. They were feeding us three meals a day. Then we went down to two, then down to one. And they were teaching us like code of conduct because we were going to become prisoners of war during that course. You know, one of the things that they taught us was to 
always make sure that you have small victories. And I'll explain kind of what small victories are uh, in, a, in just a second. But always make sure that you get some small victories in because small victories are the things that are going to up your attitude, give you a little more motivation. And again, I don't like motivation, but it's something I like it. I like being motivated, but I don't depend on it. It's creating these small victories, these wins in your life that elevate your attitude. And so you don't get stuck in these, in this funk. And what I mean by that is, so you're now a prisoner of war. You haven't eaten for a couple of days. Uh, they like stripped you down. You're naked. They put you in a jumpsuit. They put you in a wooden box. They're playing all this noise. They're not letting you sleep, not feeding you or anything else. They come by and they interrogate you and they have all these rules. And your job is to break the rules as much as you can without getting beat up too badly. What they told us is if they slap you, consider that like a buttstock to the face. I would probably be dead, um, <laughs> but uh, I went to a couple different courses. I, I definitely would have been dead just because I'm a bit of a smart aleck, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> you know, if they said things like you have to sit in your cell in a certain way and whatever. So anytime they weren't looking, you'd lay down. Now that's a win. Like that doesn't seem like a lot, but that's a win. Or if they say, mm-hmm. do not look to the left. Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start looking to the left or to the right or don't do whatever or come and sign this piece of paper. And I'm like, oh, my hands aren't working and I can't like really. And what they were teaching you is to to get small wins. And the way that I sort of introduced that into my own personal and business life, like a lot of times I don't feel like attacking that piece, that thing that I need to do for the day. And so there's this like 80-20 rule, like you should focus 80% of your effort on 20% of the work because that's the thing that really moves the needle. Well, sometimes I really need to focus on the 80% over here in order to get those small wins. Maybe it's like return that email. I can have someone else do that or I can do it or go fill out this form. I can have someone else do it or I can even blow it off. These aren't things that aren't going to move the needle in my life, but what they do is they, they give me the, the forward momentum to actually get some small wins. I'm like, Oh, I feel pretty good. I actually feel like working today or like working out. Like I talked about earlier, I'm pretty old and beat up. And so I have to kind of do like the old man, like maybe hop rope, maybe do some, some light, not sprints yet, uh, like some (laughs) light jogging and just kind of get my body warmed up in order to actually attack the, the workout. And that comes from like getting these little wins under my belt, like feeling good. Okay. Now I'm ready to like actually get after it. So if you get stuck down in these valleys where you're like, I'm just depressed, nothing seems like it's going right, just get some small wins under your belt. Like those small wins, they're huge. They mean more a lot of times than the big wins at the end of the day, because they change your attitude and your personality and your motivation to actually want to do the work at the end of the day. And then what would I tell my younger self? Never, ever be complacent because... There have been times in my life, and I still am a victim of it today. Once you get a win, celebrate the win, but get right back after it. Most people, they get a win, and then they become complacent. So they hit the peak, you know, the peak on the mountain, and they just sort of like either stay there or they start falling back down. But you know what? When you hit that peak, there's another peak over there and another peak over there. So always keep climbing the mountain. Never peak, uh, never become complacent because there's always another peak to climb. So keep climbing those peaks. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I forget what the phrase is, but I think someone said like, if you're complacent, you're basically dead. Like, <laughs> it's kind of harsh, but it's like, yeah, it's like of, the, I, it's I don't like know the, the phrase, pathway to, to death or something like that. Something like, like that. Death in your life, something. I mean, for me, if we're complacent when we're out on target and we're doing a mission or whatever, like, yeah, death is for sure right around the corner. And it does happen. You know, we're like, oh, this again. And oh, we just got hit with an IED and like bad stuff just happened. So it happens. And uh, even to the best of us, but I would say, yeah, complacency never like every day is a new mission. It's a new mountain to climb and go climb that mountain. Love it. Love it. So I'm so glad you came on. We talked about so many things. I love all the motivational stuff. I know you don't like it, but like, I do think that you being a Navy SEAL and that transitioning into like a business and now kind of like mindset and stuff is really, really helpful for a lot of people. And they'll get a lot from this conversation. But I do want to give you the chance to kind of explain more of your products for just a second. Like I know you have a discount code. So can you explain like what the offer is for everyone listening? So my website is www. Someone told me I'm old and maybe it was you if I said www. <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, dot NW dash recovery, or you can write in naked warrior recovery, all one word into your URL. And that'll take you to my website. I just didn't think everyone wanted to write naked in their in their search engine because I don't know. Um, <laughs> That's what I never even thought about that. <laughs> but I and that was my first like naked warrior recovery. 
And then I was like, wait a minute, maybe people don't want to write naked. And so I, that is still, I own that URL as well, but uh, NW dash recovery will also get you there in case you don't want to write naked into your search engine. So we have a, a full line of, of mostly broad spectrum products, but we have a couple of full spectrum and just a quick CBD 101. There's three different main categories of CBD. There's a CBD isolate, which they isolate the molecule CBD and just turns into a white powder and they put it into an olive oil or an MCT oil or a, maybe a, even a hemp oil. And uh, that's, in my opinion, not a medical expert, is the lowest quality CBD on the market. Then you have a full spectrum, which has all the minor cannabinoids and terpenes from the hemp plant that includes THC, but the, uh, below the legal limit of THC. You know, there's about 120 different minor cannabinoids and terpenes. Terpenes are basically essential oils that are in a full spectrum product. And I have two full spectrum products, but the rest of my products are broad spectrum where we remove the molecule THC for, you know, people who maybe they are part of a organization where they they get drug tested or anything like that, or they're concerned about, or maybe the religious reasons, I don't know, that you don't want to have a little bit of THC in your body. Um, I take all the products. I still maintain my top secret clearance. I still get drug tested. I've had no issue. Again, this is not medical advice or anything else. So those are my products. I also have a line of uh, apparel. The discount code that I'm going to give you does not work on the apparel just because like, I'm still working some things out with that website. So you can get to that site from nw-recovery.com. And the discount code is GABBY20, G-A-B-B-Y-2-0, all one word. Cool. And uh, it gives you 20% off. But I'm also going to give a free gift. Now, the website isn't up yet, depending when this podcast goes live. But, you know, the, the naked mindset, I've created a PDF that sort of describes what it all means. And all you have to do, you just go in there, send me your email, and I will email you a copy of Five Secrets to Think Like a Navy SEAL. And it's really the get naked mindset. And it's kind of a lot of what I just talked about here. And Gabby, I'll just send you a copy of it so you can say it's good or bad uh, cool. Thank uh, you. on your own there. And so that that website will be five seal secrets, the number five sealsecrets.com. I didn't say www at the beginning of it. <laughs> and it's just to provide value and give you a little bit of mindset to take with you. As a matter of fact, I came up with the acronym. I use it every day. And I still am like, I'll go back. I printed it off and I go back and I review it sometimes just because I'm like, oh, hey, that was, I said something smart right there. Let's just go ahead and implement <laughs> that. So that'll be five sealsecrets.com. But really go to my website, nw-recovery. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. And then for the listeners, if you want to find any more information about William and his business, you can go to corporatequitter.com. All the links, downloads, all that will be on there. And um, yeah, that's about it. Thank you, William, so much for being on. Awesome. Thank you, ma'am. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast. Make sure to check out corporatequitter.com for extended content and additional information about our guests. To connect with us, stay up to date on all things Corporate Quitter, and to learn more about how you can leave the 9 to 5, follow our host Gabby on Instagram or TikTok at SheLikesToGab. 